Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Very special guest on our show today, one I'm personally very thankful for, for his service to our country. His name is Rich Davini, and he was a commanding officer of an elite force in the Navy SEALs. With a career spanning more than 20 years and 13 overseas deployment. As the officer in charge of training for a specialized command, Rich spearheaded the creation of a directorate that fused physical, mental, and emotional disciplines. He also led the selection and human performance development in the SEALs. Rich now teaches on leadership and optimal performance and recently released his first book, which is a great book, which will not be his last, I tell you that. And it's called The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance, which we'll be getting into today. Rich, thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Brian, thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. So thank you. And thank you for your very, very deep service to this country and the world in helping us save lives and keep the peace all over the place. So thanks a million. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So give us a little background. Uh, Where did you grow up? What was like growing up in the, the Divini household? Well, you know, I grew up in New England and uh, we are, you know, you know, nice, nice town in Connecticut. We, uh, kind of an average, you know, just a nice childhood, you know. Um, and, you know, was surrounded, you know, my, my dad's family was Irish. <laughs> so that's Divini is an Irish name, not an Italian name. Uh, but my mom, you know, my mom is, you know, her, her dad was from uh, Malta. Her mom was Greek and she was born in Egypt. And so, so you, she used to say, hey, you guys are all mutts, you know, which is good because you're, you're citizens of the world. Right. And so we had that open mindedness from, from day one. Um, interestingly enough, my dad was a private pilot. He used to take us flying, uh, every weekend and we loved it. I have a twin brother. He and I were, were sold from the day, from day one. And so from the age of six years old, we wanted to be Navy pilots because we figured, well, Navy pilots, those guys land on ships. It, could, it couldn't, can't be harder than that. Right. So, um, and it was really after the first Gulf War in the nineties uh, that I learned about SEAL teams and said to myself, you know, that, that sounds really interesting. I love the idea that they were from the water. It was really difficult. Um, and ultimately, uh, ended up at ROTC at Purdue and selecting for SEALs and, and went to BUDS in 96 and spent, uh, just under 21 years in the teams, a very kinetic time frame, as we all know. Um, but very grateful to have done it. Uh, and, you know, got out and as you've mentioned, been working leadership, human performance, and then of course, you know, kind of wrote this book and collated all the ideas I've been thinking about for over a decade. Well, living in San Diego, I have access to a lot of SEALs. And obviously, there's a lot of movies and books and all this mythological stuff around the Navy SEALs. And the thing that I would say that I've observed the most is a lot of pretty down-to-earth, pretty ordinary folks who nothing seems to be a big deal. And I think it's a, it's a phenomenal scenario that you guys take on some of the most difficult situations in the world, and nothing's a big deal. You know, people have this idea like of buds, that it's this hell week. That's all they ever really think about. They think of hell week. Hell week is one week in a long, long period of time. And I saw a statistic the other day that said for every 100 Navy SEALs, there's 40,000 applicants. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a remarkable process. And so like people like yourself, like, yeah, I did this and I did that. And 
I know because of the brotherhood and the code you guys live by, nobody makes it a big deal. But for the ordinary rank and file who, like, I did 25 minutes on the step mill this morning, and it was a major power play in my brain. 6.30, I mean, I'm sitting there. I got into the gym, in the house, and I sat there, and it took me a few minutes of supreme negotiation to get up. For you guys, you do this stuff. Talk a little bit about that for me, if you will, just that whole mindset, because overcoming challenges, applying yourself to disciplines seems to be kind of a second nature deal. Is that something you're born with? I know we're going to get into the attributes, but is that something you can develop? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I think, of course, to, to get to Bud's training in the first place, and then, of course, to make it through, you have to have some internal to you. You can't, you can't develop it on the spot. Um, and, and I know we'll get into what that is. You know, to talk about kind of the big deal thing, it's a really fascinating uh, uh, concept and something that my wife jokes with me and has joked you know, with me about. I, I'm, I, you know, in my neighborhood, for example, right across the street, I have a, a seal. Uh, down the road to my left, I have a seal. Down the road to my right, I have a seal. So there's four of us here in this neighborhood. And I remember my my wife saying once, she said, you know, I'm so glad these guys are in the neighborhood. Um, and I said, why? She said, because if anything ever happened, I could go to any one of them and they, they'd act exactly like you act. And I said, what do you mean by that? It's like they'd immediately calm down and start solving the problem. And um, and I think when we talk about not making things a big deal, uh, you know, the kind of this low drama uh mentality, I think it's a necessity because when you when your job is to go into arenas that are a big deal, I mean, combat is inherently a big deal, right? Um, big deal, the, the kind of the term terminology comes with it, this implication of high emotional states, which typically, if we look at the brain takes you out of your logical thought process and into kind of a limbic kind of emotional response. And you just don't have time for that. You have to be someone who is able to tamp down their emotions and de-dramatize so you can think logically through situations. So it's a very, very um, useful and applicable skill uh, as a SEAL. It can be detrimental <laughs> in normal life because yeah. you're supposed to be making a big deal of something and you're not. Right. <laughs> you know, right. But, um, but yeah. you know, there's always pros and cons, right? But the brand, the Hollywoodization of everything is Rambo, muscled out the wazoo, the headband on and the 15-inch knife, and everything is done by testosterone. Now, here's the thing. I've been through the process. I've been down to Coronado many times. I remember I've watched the classes. I've watched the shows. And you see 250 kids show up and you think not one of these kids is going to quit. I mean, they all look like the stud athletes in great shape. So that kind of is given like everybody's in shape. Everybody's got the physical tools. And then the people that look from the outside like the greatest studs of all time, they start disappearing in a matter of days. And all of a sudden you realize this is so much mental. And the phrase you just said, calm down and solve the problem. That, I believe, is more needed for our time than anything you can imagine. And it's not the brand that Navy SEALs have. It's not the brand that people who are on the front lines have. Because at the end of the day, you guys have that. And it's, like you say, the mental, the emotional. And then there's a physical aspect to it, obviously. What you did was very physical work. Right. Let me ask you this part of it. In regards to your career, as you go through that, what values did you draw upon to drive you through? You had to get through buds. Then you had 11 overseas deployment in Afghanistan and Iraq. You saw things that were hard for ordinary people to see. Mentally, what is the mindset you had personally to push through not only making the teams, but actually being a great team member and a team leader? Yeah, well, so that and that this gets into attributes. This is what fascinates me really about this whole concept because I would I would look around me 
going through something like buds and say to myself, man, I'm surrounded by superheroes, right? And, and how, how am I, how am I, how did I end up here, right? And that, that continuously happened throughout my career. I'd be like, oh my gosh, these people are so much better than me. How did I end up here? Um, and what I recognized as I, as these guys became my brothers and friends and stuff, and I talked to them, we talk about it, they thought the same thing. And so what, what, what really, what really resonated with me is that the commonality in, in, in SEALs, and I think anybody who's a high performer in any endeavor, is a desire to surround oneself with people who they feel are better than them. So that they're constantly reaching because, again, we're, we are a product of our environment, right? And if you surround yourself with these people, if you're, if you're kind of bent that way, uh, you begin to step up and, and do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. So there was certainly the team aspect of it. Um, and But I'm also interested in these, what are those elemental things? You know, we don't when, when, when things really get rough and, and tough and bad and uncertain, um, it's very hard to apply known skills to that, right? We, 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 we all, we've all heard it. We become, we, the true self shows up during times of stress and uncertainty. Well, I was kind of like, okay, what is that true self? And the, the, the beauty of something like buds, and I, and now for me, I, I loved it. I, you know, obviously there was painful going through, but, but, but one of the things I loved about buds was the purity of the process. Um, the process didn't care who you were where you were from, didn't care if you were the star athlete, didn't care if you were the valedictorian of your of your school, didn't care if you were from a farm out in Minnesota, right? It basically said, hey, we're going to take you down to sub-zero and see if you have what it takes. And so this is what was the, this is kind of the, what I call the unconscious genius of Draper Kaufman, who was the, the original guy who, who put together the UDT, the underwater demolition teams. And really his, his first week was hell week. And that was, hey, I don't need to have people necessarily who know how to do the job. I can always teach people how to do the job. What I need to know is if you can do the job. Because the job is designed to be inherently uncertain, challenging, tough. And so I always joke, you know, in, in BUDS, you spend hundreds of hours running with boats on your head. You spend hundreds of hours PTing with 300-pound uh, telephone poles and running with those on your shoulders. And, you know, obviously hundreds of hours in the cold surf zone. I did hundreds of combat missions during my career. I did thousands of training evolutions and never on one of those did I carry a boat on my head or a right. telephone pole on my shoulder. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so, so what they were doing to us and what they do at Buds weren't, they weren't training us on how to be Navy SEALs. What they were doing is they were putting us in, in, in situations, environments, um, and conditions to see if we had what it took to see if we could do the job. And that's where these innate qualities come, come out. So I think. The grit attributes, courage, adaptability, perseverance, resilience, those are all very necessary. Um, we can get into the mental acuity. If I were to pick one that was really important in, 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 in buds, at least it's compartmentalization. Can I, can I, can I proactively choose to not pay attention to that which I cannot control and immediately focus down in on that which I can and not worry about anything else? Um, and to be able to chunk an environment that way of uncertainty is very, very powerful in any situation. But certainly in, in, in situations of extreme stress. And then of course, you get in the team ability attributes, humility, this idea that, hey, I have something to learn, um, integrity, I'm going to do the right thing with, with my teammates. Humor is a huge one. That's probably the thing I, mo I miss most about the SEAL teams is the humor. I mean, we, I can remember times where I was laughing so hard, I was crying, and it was the most miserable situation people can ever imagine, right? Because someone would crack a joke, someone would say something, and we would design and, you know, kind of humor is a hack. We get these, these powerful um, chemicals that allow us to keep going. So I think those are probably the key ones that you see kind of in every guy that eventually makes it through. Yeah. And let's kind of dive there for a second because I want to talk about the attributes. 
And for you, because words mean things to different people, right? And you have a very specific meaning for the term attributes. Define that for us. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so attributes are these inherent kind of innate qualities that uh, that really define our behavior um, and inform our behavior, right? So, and I, so I, what I need to do is separate it from skills. Um, skills are, are not inherent. We're not born with the ability to throw a ball or ride a bike or, or drive a car. Um, they direct our behavior in known situations. Here's how and when to throw a ball, how and when to ride a bike or, or, or shoot a gun in the military sense. Um, and therefore, they're very easily assessed, measured, and tested, right? We can see how well anybody does any one of those things. This is exactly why most businesses and teams during their hiring processes get seduced by skills. They create dream teams based on skills because they're visible. You can see how well someone graphically designs. What skills don't tell us is how people are going to show up in uncertainty, challenge, and stress. When, when the curveball is thrown, when things go south, when things don't go as planned, this is where we begin to lean on attributes because you can't... It's very difficult to apply a known skill to an unknown environment, right? So, um, so attributes are more inherent. Um, where every all every one of us is born with levels of patience, situational awareness, resilience, discipline. Okay, now certainly we develop it over time based on environment, but we're all born with levels of it, um, and we can see that in small kids. They inform our behavior rather than direct behavior. So, in other words, they tell us how we're going to show up. My my son's level of perseverance and resilience, for example, informed the way he showed up when he was learning how to ride a bike and falling off a dozen times doing so, right? So, they inform our behavior. Uh, and then because they're hidden in the background, they're hard to assess, measure, and test. You, it's hard to see, right? This is where challenge, uncertainty, and stress are when they are the most visible and visceral, which is why the SEAL training laboratory. It was the perfect laboratory for, for me to see this. So, so I was really more about, can I break down like, okay, people have grit, like, oh, seals have grit. Okay, cool. But what is grit? I mean, what is, and what does it mean to just do it? And what does it mean to just make it happen? Right. I, I'm, I'm really very fascinated with those elemental, how, how kind of atomic can I get these things so that, so that a, we can understand them in ourselves, but B, especially it can be ubiquitized and the, and the, the everyday human being can say, hey, wait a second, I have that, that, and that. The good news is that we, ha- we all have all of the attributes. The difference in each one of us is the levels are the levels to which we have each, right? So, some, so I might be a level 8 out of 10 on adaptability. Someone else might be a level 2. Now, there's no judgment there because to judge it would be like judging our own hair color. I mean, it's just how we show up. You know, the difference is um, can you look under the hood? Can you start figuring out where you, where you stand? Uh, because we're all we're all different types of automobiles. We're all humans, but we're all different types, right? So someone's a Jeep, someone's a Ferrari, someone's an SUV. The Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do. The Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do. The question is, can you figure out your engine, your vehicle, so you can start doing better in your own environment? So talk to me. I want to break down. I want to go through all five and take a minute on each one, okay? okay? So I'm yeah. a practitioner. We're a coaching company. So we're always coaching people up. I know in many of the interviews, you have to give sound bites and so on and so forth, but I'm really a practitioner of this. And I'd like to take our moment to go through grit, the mental acuity, the drive, leadership, and team ability, which are these five groups of attributes. Yeah. And I think it's it's critical stuff. I think it's even kind of interesting to me the order you put them in. I think there's always a <laughs> science yeah. behind that. So talk to me about grit. What, what does that mean as an attribute? And, and how do I identify it? As a leader, I'm hiring people all the time. We yeah. have hundreds of staff here. And everyone looks great. You know, someone comes in for a job, it's eHarmony, right? Everybody sounds great on eHarmony. And then you meet them and you go, what the heck was that? So talk to me about grit. What does grit mean to you? 
So grit is a combination of things. Grit, grit is the ability to push through, to, to nug it out, to kind of just do the hard work of just getting through hard, challenging, bad situations. That's what grit mm-hmm. is. And what I realized about grit was it, it was a kind of deconstructed. It's not just one thing. It was a combination of things that kind of baked and catalyzed make up grit. And so the, the car, the, so the, the, fo- the four attributes. So especially when I looked at it from a seal lens, uh, which I can think can be translated out to any lens really is our courage, the, the courage to step into one's fear. And, you know, because again, courage cannot exist without fear. I mean, fear, and it's, that's neurological, by the way, our, our ability to step into our fears is, is kind of been nicknamed the courage switch. And we get a dopamine hit mm-hmm. when we decide to do that. So, mm-hmm. so the courage to step into our fear, um, the perseverance to, 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 find our way through, right? This is more of a proactive, like, and so that's a, it's a mix between three things. It's a mix between persistence, which is, I'm going to kind of do the same thing over and over again, because I know this is going to eventually have an outcome. That's the stone cutter approach, mm-hmm. or it can be tenacity. I'm going to do something. If it doesn't work, I'm going to change, right? That would be the mechanics approach. And then fortitude, the, the, the mental kind of toughness to, to, to engage in both of those activities. Perseverance is a balance between all three of those things. So can you, can you do that? That's proactive. Adaptability which now is a little bit more passive because adaptability speaks to this idea of the environment is changing around me without my control mm-hmm. and I need to adapt. And if I don't, I become a dinosaur. There's the difference between mm-hmm. dinosaurs and frogs, right? Um, right. If, you, if you can't, <laughs> if you can't adapt, you you go extinct, right? So can I adapt? How easy it is, is it for me? And then of course, resilience, which is really when I get knocked off baseline, can I, can I bounce back and get back to baseline? You know, how, yeah. how, how rapidly and efficiently. So that's kind of grit overall. And mm-hmm. to have grit means you have a preponderance of each one of those to apply to any tough situation. It's funny you say this. So again, hiring people, I think, is one of the most important skills to develop and emotional intelligence. But one of the things that I always ask somebody right off the bat, you know, they come in with their nice resume and this and any other, and we'll have a couple of minutes of pleasantries. And then I'll ask this question. What are the toughest experiences you've ever endured in your life? I'll be honest with you. Typically for me, I may have an hour long interview. But that first question typically tells me if we're going any further. And what I hear is, you know, first of all, sometimes it's really eye-opening, some of the things that people have come through. Sometimes they're embarrassed to tell it because it was such a tough time and this happened and whatever else. It'll also tell you if this person was a victor or a victim coming through it. Do they still carry the rocks of that challenge every single day? Or did they come through it and say, well, you know, I'd never want it to happen again, but I'm glad it happened to me. It's the making of who right. I am. By the way, you know, if you can read and write, right. you may have a job after that with me. You know what I mean? Because I think grit is such a crucial deal. And I believe in our world today, what's happened is, you know, we've become the people we are because of the adversity we face in our life. And the culture has <laughs> drifted towards, right. especially with parents. I have six kids. And what I see is all my kids have played sports and been in all these things, that so many people want their kids to avoid all adversity. And yet they know that's what made me. I don't want to put my kids into Bud's training at a 10-year-old. I don't want them to have artificially difficult times. Their life is enough trouble of its own. Right. But when we try to take away all conflict, when your kids are on a sports team and they're on the bench, that's not the breaking of them. That's the making of them. And it's going through this adversity. And I just think our culture is moving away from this. And what happens is when a problem shows up at work, when a challenge comes up, when the circumstances change, when the business environments change, when COVID-19 happens, they can't adjust. They can't adjust and they can't make it. As a practitioner Mm -hmm. of personal growth and development, as a coach and an encourager of others, an employer of hundreds, our company coaches tens of thousands, 
I read a lot of books. I'm two to three a month for the last 20 years. I really think you've hit it out of the park here. And I think it's difficult, even in interview format, because you have so much meat on the bone. It's all meat. And I want to try it's to bring cool. a little sizzle to it here. It's, it's pretty dense, I know. It is. <laughs> it is. But it's, it's phenomenal stuff. But we, I'm pulling it out of here because this is a huge one. Talk to me why mental acuity. First of all, what is it? And why is that the second one? So the second, it's the second one because it's, it, it, and what it is. I mean, it basically talks about how we process the world neurologically. Um, and it's, it's, it's very necessary. Um, it could have been the first one, to be honest with you. You know, grit mm-hmm. and mental acuity could have been the first. Although some would argue that sometimes grit is just turning off your brain and just powering through, right? So, right. so it could be either the first or second. But, but, uh, but it, it's how, how we process the world. So situational awareness, for example, we have 11 million bits of information coming into our systems at any one second, okay, through all of our five senses. So our brains are already doing a massive amount of deselection. Um, you know, our four brains can only process about 2,500 to 3,000 bits, right? So situational awareness is really about uh, one's efficiency and ability to focus on the, the proper 2,500 or 3,000. It, it's in a word, those who have high situational awareness could also be said that you have high vigilance, but you know, this ability mm-hmm. to notice. So, and you know, I mean, part of this was, I was always quite vigilant. Um, of course, my background hyper developed it for me. Um, but I'm the sure. guy who walks down the city streets and I notice people's hands. I notice dark alleyways. I notice cars. I notice things. You know, some people don't, you know, they walk around you know, through a city street and they're in la la land. Nothing wrong with that. Right. But situation where awareness speaks to that. Then there's compartmentalization. And this is this idea we just talked about. It's the right. ability to assess relevance. So out of that 3,500 bits that are coming in, what's relevant to my current objective or outcome? Um, immediately take those and prioritize them. Okay, out of those things that are relevant, what's the one thing I should focus on first? And then focus and, and, and focus on that. Mm. This is probably the most important skill uh, mentally in something like buds or really challenging situations because we so we oftentimes get people get caught up in the in the enormity of the right. of the challenge right and there's right. a saying at buds I know you've heard it um, uh, that if you th- if you think about Friday of Hell Week on Monday you yeah, will quit you're done yeah you're done right you can't right. think of it you have to chunk it down and sometimes those elements are like hey I'm just thinking about the next minutes sometimes right. it's the next meal whatever right so that's compartmentalization task switching is this ability to to effectively and efficiently switch between contexts and categories in our lives. We do this all the time. I mean, we're driving a car and we we park it, we go into a parking lot, we've just switched, we just swapped contexts from driving to parking lot. And then we walk into the supermarket. Now we're in a different context. So our brains are swapping. Um, we're switching also inside of a, uh, a category or context, right? When we're driving, we might be going from steering and then suddenly we're braking or suddenly we're turning our blinker, right? The, the more effectively we can, we can swap because we can't, you know, multitasking is somewhat a myth. We can't, we're, we're more effective. It's more task switching. The more effectively we can hop between those things, right. the higher up on task switching you are. Some people are really good at it. Some people aren't as good at it, right? In other words, if they get distracted on something, it's hard for them to go back, right? Nothing wrong with that. It's just you have to work through it. Uh, and then learnability. How are, how are we, how effective are we actually processing all of this, absorbing it into our hippocampus, um, and then learning from it and not making the same mistakes again? Okay. So, for example, admittedly, I'm lowest on learnability out of all the mental acuity attributes. What does that mean for me? That means for me that I have to repeat things. I have to do, when I was in certain elements of SEAL training, I would stay after, I'd stay late, I'd repeat things in my head, I'd walk the hallways again just to make sure I had it. Some guys, tell them once and they pick it up. I mean, they got it. (laughs) You know, they are very high on learnability. So again, there's no judgment on this. You just have to figure out where you stand and then adjust your, adjust yourself. So that's kind of mental acuity. You know, there's a place where attributes stop and skills can pick up. It's not always the show ponies that win. 
This next one, we could have a two-hour conversation about. And I've been asked this conversation all over the world. I've presented in 40 countries. And people have often asked me, can you help me have more drive? We'll have our discussion here, but I just believe you were born with a certain amount. You were born a certain way, and then it's a matter of optimizing the drive you have. Yes. I feel like we've coached hundreds of thousands of people in the last 25 years, and I don't feel like we've ever given anybody an ounce more drive. But what we have, whether it's motivation, encouragement, skills development, accountability, all the things, is we've tried to optimize the drive that they have. So I wanted to get that out there so you know my perspective on yeah. When I'm reading this, what I'm interpreting. So talk to us about drive. How do you define it? How can we optimize what we have? Yeah. So drive, a little bit different from grit. Drive starts to speak to the long-term objectives and goals, you know, the, the things that are going to take, you know, you know, weeks, months, years, decades to, to achieve. Um, and they're going to take, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a longer time frame. So those, those attributes are self-efficacy, okay, first, you know, uh, and that, that's a mixture between confidence, initiative, and optimism. Uh, th- th- those three things. Say those three again. Those are three big words, right? There. <laughs> confidence, you know, I can do this, right? Initiative, I, I have what it takes to start, because that's huge. And then optimism, and optimism has to be balanced with realism. So it's kind of optimistic realism, right? In other words, I'm, I'm optimistic. I know I don't, I don't have all the answers now, but as I move through, I'll figure out all the answers because there will be challenges, right? So that's self-efficacy. Discipline. Discipline is discipline. The way I write about it as an attribute speaks to long-term goals. Okay, this I had to separate this from self-discipline because um, self-discipline is different. Self-discipline is are those things that we can control that the external world has no say in. Okay, you and I, you and I can make a decision. We're going to eat healthier for the next month or two. Okay, and then you and I go to Vegas and we go to the buffet. Um, and that the buffet is not going to make us eat bad food. It's all on us whether or not we choose. Okay, so that's self-discipline. Discipline, on the other hand, um, are those long-term goals, those goals that the external world does have a say in. That's, you know, being a Navy SEAL. That's writing a book. That's starting a business as an entrepreneur. Um, that's becoming the, the famous singer, right? The external world has a say. And the idea of, of discipline is, is, do you have what it takes to understand the wickets you need to go through? Uh, and are you able to continually step through those and not get seduced by the highs and not get crushed by the lows? That's overall discipline. Um Open-mindedness, you know, I think that's pretty self-explanatory because the closed mind is 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 not driven because the closed mind, you know, feels like it has all the answers, right? So there's no drive right. required. Um, yep. So open-mindedness. Uncoachable. Uncoachable, right? So open-mindedness is a requirement. Uh, and then cunning, you know, which is the last two are, are can, can, you know, can be known as kind of pejorative. But cunning I had to add in there because it's that's a very, that's a very Navy SEAL trait. Um, yeah, right. You know, people think it's a bunch of, like you said, it's not a bunch of muscle bound super soldiers, right? The, the, one of the key aspects of Navy SEALs are, are their cunning. You know, they think differently about problems. They think around and through boundaries and rules, whether real or perceived, you know, but they're constantly asking the question, um, is this rule, uh, real or is it perceived? And if it is real, what, what happens if I bend it, you know, or break it, you know? And so those are the types of questions that, that allow someone to, to continue through a process. Uh, in overall drive. And then, of course, narcissism. Narcissism was an interesting one, fun one to write. I, I went back to my own reasons for becoming a Navy SEAL. I had to ask myself, why did I become a Navy SEAL? And I had to really get introspective and be honest with myself. And I said, of course, I'm a patriot. Of course, I want to serve my country. Of course, I want to you know, be in the Navy. Ultimately, I want to be a badass. Okay, I want to try yeah. to do something that very few people can do. Um, that's a little bit of narcissism speaking. And every SEAL will agree with that. You know, again, we're, we're patriots. Yep. 
So narcissism, of course, is a, is a personality disorder and in too much, uh, you know, <laughs> too much is obviously a bad thing. But, you know, again, we all, every human being wants to be paid attention to and adored and, and, um, and made a big deal of, you know, we, we get this, you know, when we're paid attention to by our parents, for example, we're getting hit with serotonin, dopamine and oxytocin, two, three very powerful chemicals that make us really feel good and safe and loved. That happens as, as adults too. And it's a natural process. And my whole thing was, let's talk about the humanness of all of us. People who set audacious goals, part of it's coming from a little bit of narcissism. Okay, that's, yeah. that's perfectly okay. The, 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 the key is, and the, what we have to remember is, um, if you, you know, too much narcissism, it's like a vampire looking in a mirror. Okay, you can't see it in yourself. It's impossible. So you need to surround yourself with people who I call grounding wires, the people who give you all the real deal, they pull you back if you're getting a little bit out over your skis. That's my wife. That's my teammate friends, right? And say, hey, Rich, tone it down. You're getting a lot big, big headed, right? Something like that. So, so the, the key in narcissism is if you've surrounded yourself with sycophants, that's probably bad news. <laughs> you right. Know? Especially it, as a leader. Especially as a leader. So you have to surround yeah, yourself yeah, with I, people I, give you the deal. I like down. to say that a lot of the SEALs have the right amount of wrong. You know what I mean? Yes, and I think that's, that's a right. good thing. And you want to have a little juice and you want to have a little swagger and it's okay to get a little acknowledgement. It's okay to be the best at something. It's okay to make more commissions than the next guy. It's okay to be number one in your business or number one in your office. There's good stuff. It's when you find your identity in it, Mm -hmm. that's when you're screwed. When you are a seal and not a human being. You know, I've seen people giving up their marriages so they could walk across the stage and get a real estate award. Sometimes I think of it this way. You know, confidence is I know I can do this. Arrogance and narcissism is I'm better than you. It's almost a, it's one is an internal projection, one is an external projection. And I think we just have to maintain it as an internal one. Couple more here, very important. Leadership. Now, as such a general term, there's 40,000 books and 150 speakers a day on leadership. But what's your specific take? Because you were leading people. If you made a mistake, people died. People died who worked for you. Yeah. And people died as a consequence of you. So you have leadership. I hear football players, you know, this is a, Life and death struggle. No, it's not. Nope. That's a ball filled with air on 100 yards where you're getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah. I've never had life and death decisions to make as a leader. You have. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. your perspective of leadership from the book Attributes. Well, first of all, the, the first perspective is that there's a distinct difference between being in charge and being a leader. One is a noun. That being in charge is a noun and being a leader is a verb. Okay. Leadership is a behavior. It's not a position. And we don't get to call ourselves leaders. All right. That's like calling yourself good looking or funny. All right. Other people make your make that decision. They just they decide whether or not you are someone they want to follow. And they do that based on behaviors and the attributes I describe empathy, selflessness, authenticity, decisiveness and um, accountability. Those are all behaviors of great leaders. Now, we know this. I've been around the world and I've asked this question when I teach classes on leadership to to thousands upon thousands of people. I say, what do great leaders do? And what happens is they, they throw out words and I make a list on a whiteboard. And it's usually like 20 or so words, right? Every single list that you make is always the same. It's always pretty much the same words. And these five things are always on the list, okay? Because we intuitively know what we believe great leaders do. Um, this is what it is as a behavior. And so in terms of leadership in in something like the SEAL teams, it's about behaving in a way that empowers those on your team to make decisions and to do things um, when it's their turn. And I talk about this concept of kind of dynamic subordination where you build this, uh, this, um, this environment of trust where 
when a problem or a challenge hits from any angle, because it can come from any angle at any time, the person who is the closest to the problem and the most confident immediately steps up and takes charge. And then every, all of us follow, right? So yes, I was, I was the officer in charge for all of my missions. I was the ground force commander, right? Sometimes though, I was in support of my snipers. Sometimes I was in support of my assaulters. Sometimes I was in support of my breachers. Sometimes they were in support of me as I ran out, as I, as I went through a problem, but it constantly swapped and you have to have the humility as a leader to, to understand when it's your chance, when it's your turn to step forward. I think one of the hardest things, but one of the most important things about leadership, again, this is why we get confused with the word leadership sometimes uh, often means, hey, leading from the front, being in the front. One of the most important jobs of leadership is oftentimes not to be in the front at all, is to push your people up front. Uh, because you, you, you set up an environment where I used to tell my JOs, hey, the irony of leadership is if you do your job right, you work yourself out of a job. You create an environment where they don't need your, they don't need you anymore. And that's true leadership. Yeah, that's great. You know, one of the fabulous dynamics of Bud's training is people like yourself who went to ROTC and you're going in as an officer, you go into Bud's, you're being instructed by someone with a lower rank than you yeah. who's giving you the business all day long and is in your face going, do you think you can lead me in battle? And yeah. you're talking about a maybe a 20-year vet who's talking to a rookie like you. You have the title, so you have the noun. Right. You might be a lieutenant. And this person is not. They might be an E5 or something like that. And they're in your face. They're respectful, but beating the heck out of you going, are you supposed to be able to lead me? And you can't, yeah. you're about to quit. And I feel like that is a phenomenal leadership training ground where you have to listen to people. You have to engage. Yeah. You have to respect people with experience. And so many people get hired. I mean, we've seen it. I've hired people like this. They came in with the greatest resume in the world, but their idea was, Leadership looks like this in corporations. You kiss the butt above you, you step on the head below you. They never got information from the grassroots. They mm -hmm. never asked their staff. They never got feedback. They never got feedback from the customer. And if you're in business like I am, your customer is your boss. Yeah. And what do we have a set of core values here? And one of them is servant leadership. Right. I walk around. We have Buffini and Company, this worldwide brand. I'm the lowest guy in the company. I wash everybody's feet. I will never ask people to do what I will not do. And we'll have people who come in and they yeah. go, no, no, I want the big office with the view as opposed to, no, 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 you have to be willing to do whatever. But it's not just doing, it's the attitude of, hey, I want to empower you. I want to bring you along. And I eventually want to make you not need me. And I think it's phenomenal. I think that attribute there, because it's under combat conditions is the most exposed leadership techniques of all. And I think there's tremendous value in what you have to share. We could go all day, but we only have time for one more. Talk about a phrase that civilians like myself wouldn't understand too much, but the word team means something very different to you guys. What does team ability mean? Yeah, team ability. I think, I, well, I first heard it from the spec war folks, from the SEAL folks. Uh, I don't know where else. I, I don't think it's a word, but it's it's this ability to operate and effectively be on and be a productive uh, contributing member to a team. And again, just like leadership, you don't get to call yourself a great teammate. Other Your other teammates designate you that, and it's based on these behaviors. Um, and these behaviors, again, are very elemental. Integrity, do the right thing. You know. And now, now do the right thing has to be very carefully considered because um, every team, every culture might have different definitions for what do the right thing is. And, and so, so especially in, in SEAL teams or any teams that have a very tribal culture, you have to make sure that do the right thing is defined uh, in, in congruency with what the military defines do the right thing is and our nation defines what do the right thing is. All right, but that's the leader's job. I and mean, the leader's job is to create a culture where the do the right thing is 
uh, explicit and everybody knows what that is. So that's do the right thing. Um, integrity, conscientiousness, that's really the ability to work hard, be reliable and be uh, diligent. You know, are you showing up? Are you working hard? Are you reliable and consistent? Are you someone who's consistently asking, hey, what else is there to do? You know, when I'm done with my stuff, hey, who else can I help? You know, um, that's that's a that's a common trait in the SEAL teams, which I always loved. It's always like, hey, once you're done, go see if anybody else needs help. You know, and that that endears you to your teammates. Um, humility, of course, again, fairly self-explanatory. You can't you can't learn anything. Um, I mean, nothing. Arrogance never, never shows well on a team. It just doesn't. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. So so it's almost uh, it's almost almost too intuitive to. To, to dive into deeply, but that's what it is. Um, and, and again, that's decided by others. You can't, as soon as there's a saying, I can't remember who I quoted, but it's like, uh, hum, humility is a, a difficult thing because as soon as you think you have it, you've lost it. Right. Yeah, you know, right. So, because, <laughs> yeah. uh, because other people uh, will decide that. Um, and you just have to look at uh, your, your other people and say, Hey, I am, I'm surrounded by people I can learn from. Uh, and then humor, which is again, my favorite because humor, um, you, you, you laugh, you're involuntary flooded with three chemicals, dopamine, uh, endorphins and oxytocin. Dopamine tells us, hey, this is great, keep going. Endorphins masks our pain, and oxytocin binds us to other human beings. And so laughter is a binding element that hacks into courage and allows us to keep going, and it's just phenomenal. I've never met a high-performing team that doesn't have at least one class clown who can make jokes when things are tough. Well, and in the world we live in today, that's becoming repeatedly humorless. Right. It is worth the effort. And yes, you have to be more politically correct. And yes, you have to yes. think through consequences and you can't go to the lowest form of humor. But I feel like it's ever more needed. I'm an Irishman. So if we're not having a laugh, there's no point in showing up. Without it, I just think it's so much missing. You talk about all the chemicals that are released. You know, it is the best medicine and it's often needed. Right. I will say this. We're going to segue to our five questions here, Rich. The book, it's very readable. But like your interview here, it's very yeah. dense. There's so much in there. Yeah. I have five pages of notes. But the value here and the value I encourage you in as you're out there, because I've brought in how, I don't know, many thousands of speakers I've hired over the years. So many people today, they were on The Apprentice on Tuesday and their book comes out on Thursday. There's lots of theories. There's lots of people now. As a culture, we don't ask people what they did. I'm in the industry of real estate training. Most of the trainers in my industry never sold a house. But they have technology, they have techniques, they have this and that. The fact that something's done under fire is where everything gets purified under fire. That's how gold gets purified, in the furnace, in the crucible, it's called. And that's why people are so fascinated with groups like the Navy SEALs. And as you guys talk about it, and you talked about team ability here, I've never heard a long-term Navy SEAL guy ever refer to himself as a SEAL. I only ever hear themselves referred to as a team guy. And when they want to compliment somebody, he's a good team guy. And that's all I ever hear. And what you've learned, and you're a very thoughtful guy, you've brought the science behind it and the emotion behind it and the chemical implications for the body behind it. I just feel like this is done under the crucible. You know, you make a leadership mistake, it costs people's lives. You hire the wrong guy, it costs people's lives. The five attributes we're talking about here in this book, grit and metal acuity and drive and leadership and team ability were under this crucible. And that's why I think there's such extraordinary value in the work. I love the book. I will say I'm on my second time through, and I'm seeing a hell of a lot more than I did the first time through. And I'm probably going to have to read it a few times more, but it's fabulous. And I, it's a credit to you, and I wish you the best of success with it. I have five rapid-fire questions. You're a guy who's used to rapid-fire. We've asked every celebrity in the world these questions, so 
I'm going to give it to you, and it's just you didn't know they're coming. They're straight from the cuff. So here we go. What's the single best piece of advice, Rich, you've ever received? Uh, single best piece of advice. I would say um, be, uh, be resolute in the outcome, but don't dictate the pathway. Um, because the, because you have to be adaptable. The pathway is going to change. If you're, if you're climbing a, a, a rock, mountain climbers can teach us this. Yes, you want to get to the top, but as you go up that rock, you're going to see different knot holes. You're going to, you're going to see different pathways. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you're going to have to go down to go to, to the, to the next best knot hole. Um, and so like a mountain climber. Um, so, so the pathway has to be flexible and moldable, be resolute in the outcome. Don't dictate the pathway. If you were getting advice from somebody, who was your biggest influence? Where'd your best advice come from? Oh gosh. I, so I don't know if there was one person. So I always tried to read as much as I could and talk to as many people as I could. I mean, my dad always gave me great advice. I had some great commanding officers. I love books and I love hearing, but listen, we can also learn from the bad leaders too. I call it reverse mentorship. <laughs> you know, and that's a yeah. you you, oh, yeah. you work for a leader. Um, you're in a culture that doesn't work, and you say, "Okay, I am learning. I am never going to do that." So I, I know yeah. what not to do. No, that's, <laughs> that's like right. some are cautionary tales. That's right. All right, what's the one talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Uh, more self discipline. I, I I have to constantly work on my self discipline. Interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that one. <laughs> in fact, that would be the one thing I wouldn't have guessed. So, God help the rest of us. Okay, what book has been most instrumental in your life? A book my mom gave me when I was in high school called The Key to Yourself uh, uh, by Venice Bloodworth. There was a book that talked about the law of attraction. And again, I, I, I started getting into and, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not here to promote or, uh, or or even talk about the efficacy of metaphysics. But it talked about this idea of, of writing down goals, being resolute, moving towards them, being positive in your thinking. Uh, and that changed my life. I really started getting to the brain and, and the power of the subconscious. And I just started looking at all that. And it, it shaped me quite a bit. Wow. Well, there must be quite a story behind your mom that she gives her teenage kid that book. So yeah. she must be something special herself. She is. Okay. I know you're not a huge a TV watcher and so on and so forth. But if you're scrolling through the channels and there's one movie and every time it's on, you stop and take a look at it. What's the one movie you've watched over and over again? Oh my gosh, there's there's several. Jeez, I would say I, I would say um, I love Shawshank Redemption. Every time I every time I see that, I, I just love that one. Uh, the the music, the drama. I love Back to the Future. That's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, and I love the movie Interstellar. The, that's a you know I love this idea of exploration. So I'll give you three. three. Nice. <laughs> that's great. That's you know what I find with that movie is I when I ask the movies, I really get a picture of the person we're talking to, and so does our audience. And Shawshank is my number one, and it's been quite a few people, so pretty spectacular. Last but not least, uh, something that's on the bucket list that you haven't checked the list on just yet. I want to learn how to kite surf. Kite surf. Nice. Yeah, that looks a lot. It looks like it's a lot of fun. Well, uh, if you go about four minutes from where I am right now is one of the capital of the world, Carlsbad, California. I know. And they are kite surfing as we speak. And every one of those people looks like they have a giant grin on their face and they're moving at about 30 knots. So good stuff. It seems phenomenal. (laughs) That's great. Well, listen, first of all, thank you for your service to the country, to what you've done in your life. Thank you for what you're doing now. I think this is every big a service is what you have been doing. Uh, It's phenomenal stuff. I really thoroughly enjoyed the book. It's a big boy, big girl book. And uh, you got to put your big boy, big girl pants on. But you know what I think? In times when everything is so milk toasty, this is really some big meat, some great stuff. We've covered a lot of meat on this podcast today. I think people are going to have to listen to it many times over. Thanks for being a guest on the show today. It's been a lot of fun having you. 
Thank you, Brian. Thanks for what you do as well. And you spread good, you spread good news, good message, good, good everything. And, and that's, that, that's what we need as well. So thank you. I appreciate it. Well, when we leave here today, I'm going to leave you with the Navy SEAL of mothers, Therese Buffini, 90 years of age. You talk about grit and mental acuity, drive, leadership, and she built a team ability of six raucous Buffinis that have gone on to do all kinds of great stuff. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Mom. Thanks, Rich, again. Thanks to all of you for listening. Here's a little Irish blessing to brighten your day. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.